0: Hello, and welcome back to New Books in German Studies. My name is Ryan Stackhouse, and today we'll be talking to Roger Free about his his new book, Not in My Family, German Memory and Responsibility After the Holocaust. Roger is a registered psychologist whose work spans the fields of psychoanalysis, philosophy, and history. He teaches educational and counseling psychology at Simon Fraser University, and his research addresses the complex interrelations between historical trauma, culture, memory, and human interaction. Not in My Family is hot off the press, published in 2017 from Oxford, and has already received widespread acclaim for its intensely personal confrontation with the Nazi past in the author's own family. The book received the 2017 Canadian Jewish Literary Award, and Roger Free has been so good as to join us today to chat about his work. Without further ado, Roger, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ryan. It's a pleasure to be here. So before we begin talking about Not In My Family, I was wondering if you could perhaps tell us a bit about yourself. Sure. Um, As you said in your introduction, my my background is
1: perhaps an unusual one in that I wear different hats. I trained originally as a historian and philosopher in uh, in England um in London and Cambridge where I lived for about 10 years and then moved to the United States where I taught in that field for some years before actually transferring over to psychology and uh becoming both a practicing psychologist and a a certified psychoanalyst. In terms of my writing, I bring both of these perspectives to bear, both uh, as a trained historian, as well as a practicing psychotherapist. So, I, in my writing about German history and my writing about my own family, I bring together both my understanding and interest in history, but also fundamentally my my understanding and interest in what it means to have lived this history and to still live with this history today because, as we know, the effects of historical crimes don't go away. They get transferred from one generation to the next. How did you come to write Not In My Family? I hadn't planned to write this book. Um, In some sense, it was really by chance and circumstance. I am the son of German immigrants. And to Canada, I grew up in Canada. Spent my childhood here, and I had always known about my family's German background. Uh, in my family, we spoke openly about the German past. We spoke openly about Nazi history. It was very important to my parents that I know about this history, that I understand and know the moral obligations that follow from being a German descendant in regards to the perpetration of the Holocaust. What I didn't realize, though, and what wasn't talked about, was the involvement of my own family members, Uh, specifically um, the maternal grandfather that I grew up knowing and loving as a child, um, had joined the Nazi party. And this was a discovery I made not long ago when I glimpsed an unfamiliar photograph during a visit to Germany. And this discovery gave way to a very personal and very difficult confrontation with the history of my family and with the, the meaning of memory. As a German descendant, as a grandchild of the generation of perpetrators and bystanders, What does it mean ultimately to be the grandson of a Nazi party member? How is it that my family, for whom understanding and knowing history was always immensely important, had not actually talked about this very important aspect of history. And as I soon discovered the history of my family, the confrontation with the past, was repeated in a great many other German families, both within Germany and families like my own, who had emigrated uh, in the immediate post-war period. So I've used the term, uh, the generations of perpetrators and bystanders a number of times. And I I think um, there's some important clarifications to be made. Um, First off, when we use the term perpetrator, it evokes, and quite rightly so, Um, images of the Nazi henchmen, those who were directly involved in the perpetration of heinous crimes. Bystander is a term that is generally used to suggest those who stood by or looked away. Of course, when we separate bystander from perpetrator in that manner, it suggests that the bystanders really weren't very involved. But as we know today, it was the very fact that individuals Stood by or looked away that enabled the perpetrators to carry out their crimes. My grandparents, based on all the information I've been able to find, were so-called ordinary Germans. They weren't early joiners of the Nazi party. My grandfather became a member in May of 1937, having applied one year earlier in 1936, and in fact, prior to that, during his time in Berlin in the 1920s and early 1930s, it appears that he was uh, involved in left-wing politics. So at some point, um, his perspective on politics uh, swung from left to right, and uh, as we know from that period of history, it's hard to make sense of, but it wasn't in fact unusual. Um So my story, the story of my family, is not a story of perpetrators per se, it's a story of ordinary Germans, those Germans whose support for the regime or those Germans who were willing to look away during the carrying out of the crimes of the regime uh, enabled
0: acts of perpetration to take place. So what would you say the big idea of this book is, that you want readers to walk away knowing or considering or asking themselves? I think my fundamental hope would
1: be that readers would come away from having read this book with a willingness to better understand their own histories and the histories of their own families, regardless of what those histories might be, and the importance and the relevance of talking about the past, that so oftentimes in today's society, we're focused chiefly on the present and on that which is immediately in front of us. And it becomes so easy to overlook the fact that we also carry the past with us. And that past that we carry with us is often a past that is uh, filled with trauma and historical and moral obligations. Um, and I think the more we can know about that, the more we can understand that,
0: the better we can relate to our present lives and understand our present lives. Well, you're definitely speaking to larger questions here. At its core, this is a book about your struggle with the Nazi past of your grandfather and coming to terms with that. As you put it, to reconcile the memories of the man with the knowledge of his deeds. Who was your grandfather to you as a child, and what did you learn as you grew older that challenged these memories?
1: My memories of my grandfather have always been very dear to me. I grew up only with one grandfather. Um, My father's father was a member of the Wehrmacht, the uh, regular German army, and he died um, on the Russian front in very early 1942. Um, to my knowledge, um, he was never a member of the Nazi party. And, uh, to my knowledge, um, he does not appear to have been a supporter of the Nazis. But here again, as in so many cases, um, a full accounting of history, uh, remains to be achieved. Sure. Uh, I think it's the case for many, uh, German, um, grandchildren, uh, our German descendants like myself. So my other grandfather became, I think, doubly important to me, and um, my relationship to him really was defined by a sense of both geographical separation and emotional longing as a result of that separation. Um, I grew up in Canada, as I said. I was born in North America, and throughout my childhood, uh, we visited um, my grandparents in Germany in the city of Hanover and those those visits were really amongst uh, I think the happiest childhood memories I have um, on occasion uh, my grandparents also came to visit us in Canada so I saw them on a somewhat regular basis but I think from the perspective of a child uh, longing for that connection not nearly enough and so those moments in which we were together were always very very important to me and uh, learning from him, uh, learning a little bit about his craft. He was uh, an artisan and an artist, and uh, simply having that time to spend together. So uh, again, as a result of, I think, all of these uh, experiences, um, he's always played an important role uh, in in my life. So I grew up, uh, learning about my grandfather's history. I learned that he was a, um, as a child, uh, we spoke about, uh, German history and I learned in that context that my grandfather, uh, was a civilian worker during much of the war. And in the last year of the war, um, became a member of the Luftwaffe and that he actually worked, um, on the, uh planning and design of the V2 rocket, uh, during that last year of the war. And so I had a particular image of my grandfather. Um, it was undoubtedly an idealized image, um, an image that sought to keep the Nazi past at bay. And it was essentially seeing my grandfather as a reluctant German soldier, in some sense, forced to fight a war that was not of his making, and uh, that he didn't wish for. And that image stayed with me. And um, it was an image that allowed me to, I think, uh, avoid really knowing. And it wasn't until much later, as I said, some years ago when I was visiting Germany uh, and visiting with relatives, that I saw my older relatives, uh, family members, sorting through documents and photographs, uh, trying to figure out which ones to keep and which ones to discard. I was quite literally uh, walking by them whilst they were doing this, and I glimpsed a photograph of my grandfather. In the photograph, he appeared younger. It's not a photograph I had seen before and he appeared to be wearing a uniform, uh, one that I didn't recognize. His face seemed familiar to me, and yet it also seemed somehow alien. And in that moment when I glimpsed the photograph, I, I remember it, it, it felt as though um I was struck <laughs> um by a sudden understanding um all the pieces of the puzzle seemed to make sense in that one moment and and I found myself uh, it was a, an embodied feeling I, f- I felt numb um and it took some time before I was able to revisit and and think about what had i just seen and even begin to to talk about it um within the context of my family so i realized that he uh, after doing some research that the uniform that i saw um suggested that he was a participant in the NSKK. Uh, The NSKK was set up by uh, the Nazis as a training ground for um, largely middle-class Germans to become involved in the understanding and driving of automobiles and repair of automobiles and motorcycles. And it was quite a, a seemingly a popular group, and it was oftentimes perceived both during that time and in the decades after the war as an apolitical group. And it was given that veneer because at the Nuremberg trials, it was declared um, not to be a perpetrator organization. Of course, since that time and through historical research, we now have a different uh, understanding of what the NSKK was, and it was indeed um, an organization of the Nazi party that sought to teach uh, and fulfill its uh, racialist ideology uh, to uh, these largely middle-class members, and uh, The membership, to my understanding, participated in uh, lectures on uh, Nazi ideology and they then proceeded to uh, drive and repair cars and automobiles. Um, It's oftentimes been talked about and perceived as a group that Germans could join without, quote unquote, getting their hands dirty. In other words, It might be part of the Nazi party, largely understood, or the Nazi regime, but it wasn't like those perpetrator organizations by which people often meant the SS and its various branches. So the question I needed to ask myself was, what did this photograph tell me? How do I understand the meaning of this photograph, given what I learned about history through my family? and also given what I know about history, specifically German history and the Holocaust. And for me as a practicing psychotherapist, how was it that this memory was not talked about? How was it that I seemingly grew up up both knowing and not knowing about this history, that these very important facts remained unsaid, and not discussed. As I soon learned in doing some research, my experience was hardly unusual or unique, uh, that it was in fact repeated in many German families. And so this led to a, a, a period of confrontation with this personal history and its meaning. Which then led me to eventually write this book, um, so as i said it's it's not something I initially chose to write, but over time it became clear to me that the story I had to tell seemed to have larger ramifications.
0: The book itself, as you begin to explore these different aspects of what you call the learned history and and private narratives that exist within your family and in a public sphere, you set out by looking at what led Holocaust survivors and Germans to North America after the war. And while comparing these migrant narratives, you say that the paths were uh, quote, radically divergent, yet paradoxically connected. How so? What did you discover in comparing these narratives? So the
1: decades after World War II are often known as a so-called latency period of memory. Uh, it's a period in which both for Germans and German descendants, as well as Holocaust survivors and their descendants, little about the past was spoken about openly or publicly. And generally we understand that it wasn't until the 1960s specifically, mid to late 1960s, that this began to change. And Of course, when we talk about it in these generalizations, we always have to be careful because within specific communities, within specific families, it may have been different. So these were, these were general trends in how individuals confronted these traumatic histories. We also have to be very careful not to make direct comparisons between the German uh, confrontation with the past and the history of, um, being a perpetrator nation, and the confrontation with the past for Holocaust survivors and their descendants, because they're manifestly different. Um, nevertheless, there are some general similarities in the way that traumatic histories can be hidden and can remain hidden, because they are either so painful and difficult to even begin to articulate because they remain unknown, or as is often the case in many German families, they're covered over in a blanket of silence. And this silence is really initiated by a sense of inherited shame and guilt. And by inherited shame and guilt, what I refer to is the fact that oftentimes, far too often, members of the generation of perpetrators and bystanders, members of the generation of my German grandparents did not themselves feel guilt or shame for what they had done. And it was left to their children and to their grandchildren to feel an experience that inherited shame and guilt. And when that experience was brought forth, that often led to this creation of the blanket of silence covering over the past.
0: Yeah, there seems to be a curious connection between, as you identify third generation Germans, such as yourself, uh, to, to say the, the grandchildren's of the grandchildren of perpetrators and Holocaust survivors or the children of Holocaust survivors specifically. You have this narrative that Hoffman presents, and then you have your own experiences growing up in the city of Vancouver. And both of you have this period, and formative period in your life on the West Coast. I was wondering if you could tell us a bit more about that. Sure. The book itself is largely autobiographical
1: in the sense that it uses my experience and the experience of my family to talk about the larger... uh, historical themes of of memory confrontation with the nazi past and trauma and the transmission of trauma and i felt it was important to begin specifically with my own background and in a sense my own childhood and what was talked about when i was a child now obviously i didn't grow up in germany i grew up Uh, certainly visiting Germany, and I grew up in a German-speaking home uh, with parents who had recently immigrated from Germany to Canada. So I grew up with German culture. But my experience as a child was, at least when it came to speaking about private family memory, somewhat similar to German Germans and German grandchildren of the generation of perpetrators and bystanders in Germany. And so what I do in this first chapter of the book is I actually set up side by side the experience of German immigrants in Canada, specifically in Vancouver, and the experience of Holocaust survivors and the descendants of Holocaust survivors who arrive in Vancouver during the same period. And what was both Stunning and very revealing to me was that these two groups, despite leaving Europe, ended up oftentimes living side by side in the same area of the city, um, halfway around the globe from where the killing fields and the concentration camps were located. And what I look at are specific examples in which individuals who are German or German descendants and individuals who are Holocaust survivors or descendants of Holocaust survivors um, have contact, and what happens in these moments. Eva Hoffman's work has been very important, uh, I think, for many people in confronting uh, the past, specifically from the perspective of a second-generation Holocaust survivor, meaning that she is the daughter of Holocaust survivors. I found her work to be um, immensely helpful to me in understanding the dynamics involved, specifically the emotional and historical dynamics. And it just so happens that Eva Hoffman's family arrived within one year of my family uh, in Vancouver, my parents. And so I found that um, setting these two narratives up side by side really... Um, gave, or I hoped at least it would give the reader, a sense of how each group sought to come to terms with the past and struggled to do so in those first decades. What I often found in researching this was that third-generation Germans like myself, growing up in Vancouver, knew about the past in a general sense, but didn't know specifically about their family's involvement and didn't necessarily understand why they carried the sense of shame or guilt. And of course, not all did. Um, in the same sense, the descendants the second generation and third generation Holocaust survivors struggled to understand the experiences of their parents in this new location. There was, without a doubt, an understanding that there was a history in my family that wasn't known, that maybe other people were able to point at, um, and that wasn't talked about. Um, I grew up, uh, as did so many others, um, like myself, with a, a set of questions, um, perhaps questions that weren't asked and questions I didn't know quite how to ask. And no doubt for my family, as for many other families, um, questions that... Uh, I would imagine my parents and many other parents like mine didn't know how to answer. Uh, so there was this silence around the past at the same time that there was an understanding from the very earliest age about the past, um, growing up uh, under the shadows of uh, World War II and growing up with that uh,
0: constant sense of what it might mean to be a German Canadian the idea that you bring up of this negative synergy between the Holocaust is sort of a departure point for both following generations of Germans and Holocaust survivors or the children of Holocaust survivors. is definitely interesting in the way that the, the intergenerational trauma definitely seemed to play out within the family in similar ways in terms of meaningful silences and avoidances. Yes. Um And here I would like to say, I think in, many German
1: families, um, the dominant mode of communication about the past was one of silence, about the family past. Um, in many families of Holocaust survivors, it could fluctuate between silence about the past, not knowing about the past, not daring to ask about the past because of the pain and the traumas, to hearing constantly about the past and continually about the past. And not knowing how or what to make of these enormously painful stories that were shared, right? So it could, again, um, there were general themes during this period, but it, it would fluctuate a great deal from family to family and from individual to individual.
0: Well, as the book goes on, you begin to draw on your professional work. To explore how context and situation shapes our understandings of the past. I was wondering if you could share a bit more about where this insight comes from. I I'm a practicing uh,
1: psychotherapist. And in my psychotherapy practice, what always struck me was the degree to which our environment, specifically our social environment. And the history that we carry with us, either personally or through our families and communities, is present. And it's not only present, but at times this history can be, um, one of the causes of the struggles we might have in life. And um, over time, I worked with many individuals for whom uh, the historical traumas of their families, um, the traumas that their families experienced, uh, even in previous generations, continued to be present and often affected uh, their lives. Mm-hmm. This is oftentimes referred to as the transgenerational transmission of trauma. And as I became familiar with working with that, being conscious of it, being sensitive to it, I also became more familiar with the degree to which it was present in my own life and in the life of my family. And that gave me an understanding of how perhaps in this book to talk about the past, not just something that is um, distant or abstract. But something that has actually lived, despite the fact that obviously I'm a grandchild of the German generation of perpetrators and bystanders, what they did or didn't do, what they knew, didn't talk about, has actually affected my life. And it's important for me to be conscious of that. And I shared some of that in the book. So I sought to really uh, foreground personal experience in the book, uh, which wasn't easy for me because both as a as an academic, uh, as a writer as a psychotherapist, my own personal experience often remains in the background. It's important for me to reflect on it, to understand it, but I don't usually
0: articulate it openly. That's something I had to learn how to do with time. There's this juxtaposition throughout the book that you build up of what you call learned history in the classroom and this private narrative of lived history that plays out within family units that you've been discussing. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about what you mean by this lived history, because it is so important to what you're talking about. Yeah,
1: I find um, the distinction I make between learned history and lived history to be helpful in enabling me to talk about how we experience. The histories that we carry with us or that indeed we live through. All of us learn history in school. All of us learn to understand certain themes in history, certain grand narratives that we're taught and that we're almost confronted with on a daily level. And that history is enormously important. And it helps us to make sense of what might be going on in the world around us. That history also oftentimes leaves out important aspects of the past, since I think most of us understand that history is written by those in power to represent certain aspects of the past, and other aspects of the past remain clouded or shrouded in silence. Lived history, on the other hand, is the history we carry with us, history that is experienced personally. It's experienced both directly through the emotions, through what is communicated and what is not communicated to us by our elders, by our parents, by our grandparents. It's communicated to us through our immediate families and larger communities. And this kind of history is often an emotional experience in the past. and. It often remains unarticulated, and yet guides what we know and what we don't know. And it guides oftentimes the sort of grand narratives that we're attracted to that make the most sense to us. And so uh, this distinction between lived history and learned history is, I think, quite relevant to the German past. Because beginning in the mid 1960s, um, certainly the late 1960s and then into, uh, the 1970s in post-war West Germany specifically, there began a, an attempt to collectively understand the past and collectively understand responsibility for the Nazi past and the Holocaust. And since the mid-1970s, school children in Germany have been taught about Holocaust history and this has been enormously important. During the period of the mid-1990s, there began a whole effort to build monuments to the Holocaust to remember. And in those intervening decades, concentration camp memorials uh, were set up or enlarged throughout uh, Germany. So this has been a tremendously vital and important effort that has taken place, and I think Germany is really to be applauded uh, for that effort, in contrast to many other nations whose perpetrator histories oftentimes remain silenced. Yet within German families, there was often a distinction made between that collective sense of remembering and what was known within German families about the role of their own family members, their own relatives, their own parents, their grandparents, now we could say great-grandparents, uh, in terms of their involvement in the Nazi past.
0: You also draw on your work with a German-speaking son of a Holocaust survivor. Coming from your background, you speak German as well, having grown up in a German-speaking household, and you found that the language itself became fraught with meaning over the course of your conversations with this man. How did this story unfold, and, and what what did it bring home to you? This is one of a number of
1: examples um, I use in the book and my in using these examples my or my objective is not to focus on the experience of those I worked with so much as it is to focus on what it raised for me in the process of working with these individuals and it was working with these individuals, um, specifically in German, which is my mother tongue. Um, it gave me a sense of confronting the past that I don't think I had fully experienced before. For me, German has always been the connection to my family history. Uh, speaking German has always been the connection to my family history. And I'm, I find that if I hear German, I think like, Many other um, uh, children of immigrants. I'm I'm quite automatically drawn to it uh, since it is uh, my first language. But speaking in German about the perpetration of the Holocaust, and speaking in German and hearing about the horrors that were committed and the abject horrors that were experienced gave me a, a felt understanding of the past that I think I had long sought to keep at bay. And it led me to begin to empathize, not in, a, in a, an experienced, distant manner, but in an experienced, near manner, what it meant to be a victim of the Nazi past. And by that I mean, When many of us learn about the Holocaust, we learn about the horrors to a degree in abstraction, by which I mean we learn about these horrific numbers that are so difficult to make sense of. They, they defy logic. How is it that over six million people could have been murdered, willfully murdered in state sanctioned genocide? And how is it that people could not have stood up and Sought to stop this. And when we then learn about and hear the experience of individuals who were the victims and survivors of the Holocaust, it gives us a very different perspective. And I think in order to truly understand the history of that period, what is necessary is to engage in a sense of empathy. And by empathy, I mean an attempt to imagine to think, to feel one's way into what the experience of the other person may have been. And when you carry with you a history of family involvement in the Nazi past, that's a difficult thing to do. Above all, because it means confronting the complicity of your own family in that past. And it means letting down those barriers that have in some way kept history abstract or kept history at a distance. And it was through my work um, with many individuals, in fact, who were affected by um, the Nazi past, who whose families survived traumas, but were also the victims of the traumas of World War II, that I began to understand that the importance of that empathic process that I'm describing.
0: What did it change for you? What did it change in your thinking? This realization. What this realization really did was I think
1: lead me to recognition that I needed to know more about my own background. I needed to know what exactly my background was, how my family was involved in the past. Many of the illustrations I use in the book, therapeutic illustrations, are from a period before I glimpsed the photograph of my grandfather. But when I look back and I think about the anxiety I felt during that period when confronting the past, I can't help but ask myself whether I didn't always know it in some sense. And I think that's the case for many um, descendants of uh, the German generation of perpetrators and bystanders. And it's also a reason why the past is often kept at a distance. And I realized that, at least for me personally, it was very important to actually know what took place so that a new and a different narrative about my family could be created, Um, a narrative which was based on fact, um and not based on stories that were encased
0: in, in silence, a narrative that I could uh, communicate to my children. As you turn to public discussions of German suffering during the Second World War, and specifically this tension between the Allied bombing campaign and its relation to the Holocaust, what is particularly interesting to me as a reader is how you use your experience of the September 11th attacks in New York as a sort of moral compass to navigate the German experience of the wartime trauma of the bombing campaign. Where did this lead you as you were exploring this concept of German suffering stacking up against the Holocaust and the moral culpability that that carries? I lived in New York
1: and uh, worked and practiced as a psychologist for many years. Um, and we were living in New York uh, during the events of September 11th, 2001, when the uh, World Trade Center bombing uh, took place. That uh, experience brought home to me what my own family may have experienced in the past in terms of the Allied bombings, but it didn't do so in an obvious or direct fashion. Um, Like many others during that period, I found that I had a (laughs) series of nightmares um, that lasted for many years, the burning towers. And in these nightmares, um, the burning towers and my glimpse of those burning towers and the flames took place um, in the dead of night. And it was in trying to understand those nightmares and trying to come to terms with them. That I began to realize that and remember the stories I had been told by my mother of her own experience as a child during the Allied bombing of Hanover. Specifically, the stories of oftentimes being awakened in the night by her mother and then running to the local bomb shelter whilst bombs were falling. And as a child uh, those stories had a powerful impact on me and uh, just imagining what that may have been like my mother's house was itself bombed uh, in 1943 and uh, during the period of 1943 I'm sorry 1943 to 1945 um hanover was one of the targets of the Allied bombing campaign. And there were a huge number of raids during that period. And uh, my mother and her family um, spent many a night uh, in the bomb shelter. And so that was an awareness I, I received early on as a child, uh, hearing about uh, these stories. And my experience of nine eleven, 11 my work with uh, a great many individuals who experienced trauma after 9/11 made me, uh, or gave me a realization of perhaps my own experience of a historical trauma uh, from World War II that I had uh, received. Of course, it wasn't my own experience; it was a, it was a received memory or an inherited memory. But specifically, what was inherited was not the memory, but the feelings associated. With those experiences that my mother and indeed my father went through as children. Both my parents were born in 1935 and, and were nine years old uh, when the war ended. So their experience of the war was as young children and, and both families were quite severely affected by uh, wartime trauma um, related to the, to the Allied bombing. So what was important to me was to understand how it was that i was able to feel already from a very early age that sense of wartime trauma experienced by my parents and specifically my family's memory but how at the same time growing up i kept the experiences of holocaust survivors and their descendants at a distance and when i researched this i i soon learned that the so-called narrative of german suffering or indeed narrative of german victimization is not only very prevalent amongst uh, post-war german families it is often a means to or can become a means to keep the holocaust at bay so German families will very understandably talk about and transmit the memories of the wartime traumas they experienced during that period. And I think that's both an inevitable consequence of having gone through those wartime traumas, but there's also another side to it. And that is a side of moral reckoning, as it were, because these wartime traumas took place. Specifically, Allied bombings took place alongside the deportations of the German-Jewish communities throughout the cities of Germany. So if you think about it historically, German families are experiencing this severe bombings. Um, Many perish, many are left with a lifetime of traumatic memories. And this is going on at the same time that German Jewish neighbors are disappearing, they're being arrested, and they're being deported to concentration camps further east. So the question I pose is how is it that in my German family, like so many others, mine is not unique, there is the memory of the suffering, but there doesn't seem to be the memory of the disappearances and deportations of their neighbors. And in the post-war decades, right through to the present, there's been a focus on the suffering, but there's been an absence of memory about what took place in the very presence of that suffering. So in this chapter, I specifically use and juxtapose my family's experience of the Allied bombings alongside the stories of and, and individual experiences of German-Jewish families in Hanover who were uh, arrested and deported. And I seek to, in that sense, create what I refer to as a moral compass for remembering the German past. And in so doing, I'm not seeking to in any way undermine the very real wartime suffering that took place. And in Germany over the past uh, decade and a half, there's been an attempt to understand the way that that wartime suffering has had effects on a great many individuals. But I also, by putting these two experiences, that of German civilians and that of German Jews who were deported and ultimately, in many cases, murdered by Germans, by putting them side by side, I really try to address what has become known as the German narrative of victimization, uh, which refers to a whole host of books and media productions really from about 2000 onwards that have focused on what Germans experienced during the Allied bombings in particular, but also in terms of uh, the German refugees from Eastern Europe uh, moving west into Germany. And I suggest that whilst there's importance in remembering and addressing the individual experience of Germans, German descendants, be it Second generation, or indeed third generation, who carry with them the effects of those wartime traumas, we have to be very, very careful not to create a grand narrative of victimization. Because, as so often seems to be the case when we look at post war German memory of the Nazi past, that narrative of victimization takes place in lieu of, or indeed it takes place as a means not to think about what was done by the very Germans who experienced those traumas to their Jewish-German
0: neighbors. Out of this discussion of the bombing campaigns, you turn to look at the ambiguity of the Nazi past in post-war Germany and this divide between public memories and private memories that you've seen play out in specific reference to the bombing war and the Holocaust. Ultimately, this leads you to this discussion of a moral responsibility in memorialization and what what an effective memorialization looks like. Can you tell us a bit more about this and how you came to these ideas? So I've, I've spoken uh, in the context of the book and in the context of our discussion
1: about history, the history of Nazi Germany, the history of the Holocaust. The difficulty often is that when we approach that history, we may see it as a a history text a book that can be opened or closed at will is a chapter that can be read but the contents of which can easily be forgotten and i think it's enormously important not to address history in this manner but to understand that it it continues to be with us and this is specifically relevant for um former perpetrator nations, and here I'm not just referring to Germany, of course, but so many nations, particularly Western nations, have histories of perpetration, that we continue the work of remembering. And in Germany today, we, we have seen in the past, but also in the present, uh, individuals who suggest that enough remembering has, took play, has taken place. When that kind of a suggestion is made, it suggests or brings up the notion that history in some way ends, or that the work of remembering ends. And what I learned in writing this book, what I've learned in working with a great many individuals who have been affected and shaped by historical traumas, is that the work of remembering never ends, that it needs to continue, and that we need to be conscious and cognizant of but, and today in Germany, it's not third-generation Germans uh, who are learning about the Holocaust for the first time. It is, in fact, fourth-generation Germans, Germans whose great-grandparents were involved uh, in the generation of perpetrators and bystanders. But we shouldn't think that knowing about the Holocaust is any less relevant for them. And so, too, I think in North America... It's enormously important that we engage in the histories of perpetration and not think that the acts of perpetration against the First Nations or the Native Americans or African Americans were indeed a thing of the past, but that the mistreatment and the prejudice and racism continues today, and the effects both of the past and the present are still with us today. And those effects are are both present in the lives of perpetrators, or I'm sorry, descendants of
0: perpetrators, but also descendants of victims. So from here you turn to examine the psychological dynamics at play in German postwar memory that sustains this willful ignorance of family entanglements with the Nazi past. And in many ways, the book, this speaks to the core of the question you asked yourself when you encountered this photograph of, of your grandfather in uniform. How could you not know about your family's Nazi past? What did you
1: find? In confronting my own family's uh, German past, I needed to grasp how it was possible that we might know and not know at the same time. Uh, In the fields of psychology and indeed psychotherapy there's an understanding that many of us as a means of getting through life in general but perhaps specifically um, particularly difficult periods engage in a kind of simultaneous knowing and not knowing by which I mean that we often uh, have a sense of things in life that may be too painful or too shameful to think about, let alone to speak about, and we push them aside. Uh, we dissociate them. And the difficulty, of course, when it comes to history, is that history doesn't disappear. Specifically, the moral obligations of collective crimes, the moral obligations of genocide, remain with us, but so too do the effects, the traumatic effects. And those traumatic effects are visible uh, in the descendants of perpetrators and bystanders, and they're also visible in the experience of the descendants of survivors and victims. And in this chapter I seek to think about that process in, in a little bit more detail, uh, in essence, to try to understand not in an academic fashion, but how it plays out in everyday life. Right? Because all of us grow up, uh, regardless of where we live, with histories. And these histories, if we think about North American history, both Canadian and uh, American history, involve histories of perpetration, you mean histories of perpetration. Uh, of the First Nations in Canada, of the Native Americans in the United States, uh, the history of uh, slavery in the United States. And these histories are both known in an abstract fashion, but they are often kept at a distance. And yet the effects of these histories remain. We can see these effects in society. We can see these effects in the lives of individuals. And how do we respond to that, right? How do we, how do we begin to grasp that or even indeed make sense of it? And as someone who's of German background, um, this is, this is a very real struggle. And I think it's one that many individuals of German background, if they wish to engage, in history and the moral obligations of history need to come to terms with and I think it's uh, it's not something that one ever resolves I think we just have to be conscious of it and sensitive to the
0: process. At the end of the book you're faced with this knowledge of your grandfather's Nazi past and still weighing the childhood memories that you have of the man. On the one hand, you have your sense of responsibility for breaking the silence and passing your family's history on to the next generation. And on the other, you're confronted by how to actually go about doing this, judging, understanding, empathizing, different options that you go through, uh, how how to relate to your grandfather's decisions. Reading this, I very much got the sense of an unresolved ambivalence, How did you ultimately come to reconcile these questions, though?
1: I must say, I I struggle with the memories of my grandfather. Um, These memories are both dear to me, and yet these memories today exist in a very different moral context. And in that sense, there's an ambivalence. So when the book neared completion, I was really. Struggling with the question of whether I had been fair to the memory of my grandfather, this man who was very important to me. As I seek to convey in the book, it's not about anger or indeed blame. The book is about trying to understand what we do today with these memories. Specifically, how the descendants of the German generation of perpetrators and bystanders like myself live with these memories. So, one thing I needed to think about uh, was whether I could truly empathize with my grandfather. And here I think there's an important distinction to be made, and there's often a confusion around two terms sympathy and empathy. By empathy, I don't mean sympathizing with my grandfather. I mean trying to understand, trying to think my way, trying to feel my way into what it might have been like to be him, to live in his time. And what I find is an immensely complex period in history, one which is by no means easy to understand and especially when we use terms like Nazi, they carry with them and evoke a whole host of different images. Yet it became clear to me that I needed to understand specifically what this term meant in relation to my grandfather. Now, of course, any research that we do, specifically on our own families, is always limited by the information that we can find. This book was based on the memories that were passed down to me. It was based on the research I was able to do. It was based on my own experience of my grandparents growing up. But ultimately, it was also based on archival work that I did uh, in Germany. And I found out that my grandfather had indeed um, become a member of the Nazi party. I found no indication no documentation to suggest that he was ever involved in perpetrator organizations, yet the evidence that I did find suggests that he was indeed a supporter, at least to the extent that I can understand, of the Nazi regime. And that knowledge in itself uh, is very difficult for me to make sense of. And. I think what I learned in the process of writing this book and what I sought to communicate is that how easy it is for us to be complacent in the face of the injustices we see around us and how easy it is for that complacency to turn into a complicity with those injustices. And accepting that my grandfather was a card-carrying member of the Nazi Party is, of course, not an easy thing to do. To be sure, there were millions of Germans who were. Yet he was my grandfather. He was someone I knew personally. wasn't an abstraction in history. And by confronting this past, I think I learned to understand differently, but also learned to... Appreciate how that past continues to shape us in the present, and how all of us need to be incredibly vigilant that we not simply be complacent
0: in the face of the injustices that surround us, lest we too become complicit in them. Now that this particular chapter has been closed, what are you researching now? I think after
1: learning about this past, it's difficult to let it go entirely. Indeed, um I don't think the is ever closed, um, in part because we never fully know history, and there's always more that remains to be known. But my current interest isn't just in history, it's very much about how the historical past, specifically how the traumas and the crimes of the past continue to shape us in the present. And above all, I think the importance for us, and for us, I mean, the general populace to really appreciate and understand that those traumas continue to have effects into the present and that those effects we continue to see in terms of the current injustices that we're surrounded by. And I think the the book, as I as I've learned, but also the story I had to tell, has a broader resonant resonance today in the face of the upsurge of right wing populism and the upsurge of overt prejudice and racism we've seen specifically over the past year, not only in North America but also in Europe and specifically in Eastern Europe and the importance for all of us to be conscious of that and not to stand by in the face of those injustices not simply to be bystanders because being bystanders means ultimately enabling those injustices to occur and to continue but finding ways to confront our own role
0: in shaping what occurs around us here here to that On that note i would like to thank you for joining us to talk about your book thank you for having me it was a privilege well that does it for us here at the new books network once again we've been speaking to robert free about not in my family german memory and responsibility after the holocaust not in my family received the 2017 canadian jewish literary award and was published in 2017 by oxford university press if you think you might be interested in picking up a copy consider using the link in the description will help Roger out and it'll help us out here at the new books network with that I'd like to thank you for joining us and hope to see you next time.